Welcome to Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, the show where we dish out tips and advice for mystical business owners and service providers. You might be asking yourself, well, what is a mystical business owner exactly? Well, if you work as a tarot card reader, astrologer, Reiki healer, intuitive consultant, uh, oracle medium, or, you know, any kind of, if there's any kind of spiritual and mystical art that is part of your profession, we're talking about you. And I'm Teresa. And I'm Bree. Hey, everyone. So we have both been self-employed sacred artists running our own businesses for decades upon decades. We know what goes into running a successful business, and we know how much heart, grit, and hustle it takes to get your business afloat and keep things rocking along. We do this show together once a month, and I think we're going on our sixth year, because we love sharing sharing the business strategies that we've learned over the years, and we really, really love seeing our fellow mystics thrive and succeed. And in each episode of Talking Shop, we tackle a different topic. And today, we're talking about Book Proposals 101. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in to listen. We're going to get this show started. And by the way, we are focusing on books this year because, well, Bree has a book coming out, her first. Yay! And Yay! I've got, <laughs> and I've got two books coming out this year. So um, we've got a lot of writing stuff going on. And the other thing is that, you know, we both talked about this. There's a lot of metaphysical folks who want to be authors, uh, and it's not a surprise because, you know, think about this. Tarot and astrology right now are hot at the moment, and, you know, um, so a lot of people want to get their books out there, or they're getting their books out there, and they want to know all about it. So this whole year, we are going to cover books, 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 all, every single different aspect. So today's topic, you know, is, well, before you get a traditionally published book, you need a book proposal. And so that's why we're, we're starting here. So, Bree, I want you to start out by explaining what a book proposal is and why it's so important. That's a good question to ask me since I have created and submitted probably about seven different proposals for different books and then had them rejected until finally one was accepted. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm somewhat of, a, of an expert on the art of the book proposal. So a book proposal is basically a pitch letter and an outline for your book idea all rolled into one. And this is, this is kind of like the first step that you take. You know, you think about the relationship that you're going to have with your publisher. And this is kind of like, you know, in the world of online dating, this is, this would be tantamount to setting up your profile and putting your cute picture um, on your profile, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. this is what I'm about. This is what my idea is. Um, call me for a good time call. And so it's really important with your book proposal that you put your best foot forward, especially if you're making a cold proposal where you don't have a, you know, you don't know anyone at the publishing company. You don't, you know, you're, you're, you don't have a personal connection with the publishing company. You really want your book proposal to be able to stand out. And so, of course, the first part is that you need to have a solid idea. Um, it needs to be grammatically absolutely flawless. Um, so you need, you know, if, if you are not a grammar person, as I am not, 
then you need somebody to help you with that. Um, it needs to look beautiful because, again, this is, this is you know, the, the shot across the bow where you're saying, this is my idea. Here's, here's where we can take it. This is what I see it looking like. Um, you know, let's, let's take it to the next step because the book proposal, and this is really important for people to understand, the book proposal is the first step in what will be a long journey, um, and quite possibly the first proposal will be rejected. And if it's not rejected, rock on. But then that begins the next series of steps, which which we can talk about, um, and we may discuss also in different in other shows this year. So it's a really important first step, and it's something that you can deliver digitally, or you can deliver it in hard copy. Every publisher has different guidelines for specifically what they want to see in the proposal, as well as how they want the proposal formatted. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my take. And why is it so important? I mean, this is, this is how you frame and showcase your book idea, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to be an author, this is, this is the, this is the absolutely crucial and essential first step. Even people who have personal relationships with publishers and they know people in publishing houses and they've got all that going on, they still have to send in a proposal. Think of it as the business plan for your book. And, Teresa, you know, you have a couple of books under Mm -hmm. your sparkly belt now. So can you tell listeners your first consideration when putting together a book proposal? Well, I think the first consideration is that your idea has to be really solid. I mean, it has got to be rock solid so that you can convey it really simply and easily to anybody that you're talking to. Uh, I think if you cannot cannot, um, clearly explain what your idea is about, that's a problem. I think the idea also has to be something that's very unique. It's got to be something, even if you're writing about something that is, you know, a common subject. Like when I wrote the tarot coloring book, there are lots of tarot books and there are lots of tarot book, um, you know, ways to interpret it. In fact, a lot of us interpret certain cards the same way. What made this unique? You know, you have to really be able to show the brilliance, the uniqueness, why this idea is cool. So that way they see that this is something really viable. And there's a second part to this that I want to add. The second part is that um, you uh, have to be really clear about who your target audience is. Because it's not enough to have a brilliant idea. Who are you selling this book to? Who is going to want to read this book? Who might be into it? So I think the really important thing is that you have to be able to convey a clear idea and a clear market for it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think both of those aspects are just so crucial for for putting it for putting that proposal together. And the idea part is especially crucial because the idea part is is really I mean, so much of the time devoted to working on your proposal, the the majority of it should be spent to really making sure that the idea is as solid as possible. Right. And, and again, knowing your market, knowing your audience, which yeah. is really part of the idea. Why are people going to yeah. want to read this book? Who's going to read it? You know, and that is, has to, that, you've got to be utterly clear on that. You can't just say, well, here's my brilliant idea. You know, there's plenty of brilliant ideas, but if no one's going to read it, then what's the point? Absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, especially since authors are more and more responsible 
for creating some or all of their marketing strategy once the book is available for pre-order. Right. So, you know, let's talk about some of the things that we must include in the book proposal. Let's go over some of the things. What What are some of the things that you must include in your book proposal? Bree, what do you think? Okay, so... You want to, for sure, look at the submission guidelines that different publishing houses have because different houses do ask for different things. But I would say what's really useful to do is have the most complete and robust form of a proposal ready to go. And then you can always, you know, withhold certain pieces of the proposal if the submission guidelines don't request them. So a robust proposal is, first of all, it's going to have your information. I mean, this is something that's really obvious, but people miss it all of the time. So your full name, a good contact phone number for you, a good contact email for you, and your website if you have them. Um, you are going to, of course, want to have an outline of your book idea, and usually this is a three-part um, this is a three-part presentation. So the first part is going to be an overview of the book. So think of this almost as a synopsis, right, or a pricey statement. What is this book? What is this book about? Um, what are the, the major takeaways or the major points of this book? Then having a table of contents, a proposed table of contents with chapters is a really good idea because it can give people, it can give your editorial team and the team that's vetting the proposal a very quick idea of what the contents of the book are going to be. Now, of course, from what your proposal looks like to what your actual book looks like, there's probably going to be a number of changes. So I can tell you that in the case of Making Magic, the table of contents that we started out with and the table of contents we ended up with are substantially different in certain places. Then it's a great idea to have a couple of sample chapters. So again, these are not chapters that most likely are going to show up in the final product, but they give the editorial team and the team that's vetting the proposal a sense of your writing style, of how readable the book is, and also of how you organize your thoughts and organize the information. Now, some submission guidelines are not going to require those inner chapters, but you can always take them out. And I think they're, it's better to have them on hand than to have to be scrambling to come up with them at the last minute. You're also going to want to have some marketing information. So this is going to include things like if you are on social media, what your social media numbers are. If you have a mailing list, how many subscribers you have to that mailing list. If you've taught classes that run parallel to the information in this book or if you've offered, um, you know, services that parallel some of the information in this book, then letting the publisher know about those things and letting them know how long you've been doing this. You know, if you're submitting a book about astrology, it's really handy for your publisher to know, oh, They've been an astrologer for 25 years. Okay, that tells them right off the bat you probably really know your stuff. And then finally, I think a really good section to include in a proposal, and from what I have seen of guidelines, they're asking for this more and more, is a marketing plan. So once yep. this book is out, what does that – how are you going to tell people about it? How are you going to pitch it? You know, what are you planning to do to promote the book? As I said, 
more and more of this is falling on the shoulders of authors. And, you know, my husband and I were just talking about this over the weekend, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it means that you get to control the messaging and the marketing around your book, which if you're a control freak like I am can be really awesome. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Right Part of your marketing plan, the last thing I'll say that I think is really handy is part of your marketing plan should include spin-off ideas. So if you have this book, then are there other products that can be spun off of the book? Are there, are there follow-up books? that this book kind of lays the groundwork out for? Are there services or classes or websites or retreats that can be spun out of this book? Those are all things that your publishing company may be interested in as well. So that's also something to keep in mind. So I would say that's pretty, that off the top of my head, those are the essentials. Teresa, what do you think? Did I miss something? No, that's actually very, very thorough. The one thing I would say, though, is you also need to make sure um, that you uh, do your research and have the competitive titles. You know, yes. what are oh, the other yeah. books out there that you're going to be competing with? Not, you know, I'm one of those people that I hate, I hate that word competition. It's what I call the C word. Uh, but you, it's a fact that they're going to want to know, can this book compete? What else is out there? Are these books even selling? You know, I mean, you know it's a topic that things sell. That, so that's big. And that's so important, Teresa, because when we, because listing those competitive titles, I think people often think, oh no, you know, I don't, I, like, I don't want my book to compete with anything else. My book is singular and standalone and completely unique and there's nothing else like it in the world. But in actuality, your publisher wants to see that there are competing titles, that there are similar titles or similar ideas because what that lets your publisher know is that there is a market for your book. Exactly. So if you don't have any if you don't have any competing titles, that's actually a strike against you, not for you. Exactly. That's why it's so important. Um, they gotta know it's a topic that people want to read about. You know, yeah. if, if there's if yours is the only one on the market, well, big whoop. Maybe you're gonna be the first yeah. person. But again, it's still uh, not going to be uh, oh god I'm gonna Steve of course I'm going to sneeze when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, if, if it doesn't show that it's going to be a book that people want or if they're not sure, even if the book is hot, could be hot, it makes them a little nervous. It's like betting on a new horse. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, in most cases, for, from what I have seen, and from what I know from people that I'm friends with that are in the industry, the only time that something like that happens is if you, you're super famous. You know, that's, that's the only time that, like, they're going to go for that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, sure, if you were J.K. Rawlings or whatever her name is, the Harry Potter lady, I don't read fiction. so. Yeah. But if you were her and you're coming out with an idea where well, no one's going to care, you could be writing about, you know, canned soup. It's going to be you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so since we're talking about, about fame and visibility and all that jazz, one of the things, Teresa, that publishers look for is your platform because, you know, say you have a popular blog, that shows that you have a potential audience. So can you talk about how to build your platform? There's also a lot of, like, you know, advice out there, like you have to have 10,000 followers on 
whatever social media channel in order to like send in a proposal. Can you can you speak to that a little bit, T? Because you're so so good at platform building. Well, I think platform is really important in this day and age because you know a lot of people are getting book deals because they have a strong platform. That is going to be a way to get you noticed. I mean, if you're somebody out there and you have, let's say, a lot of followers on Instagram or you have a lot of followers on Twitter or a a really robust Facebook page, that means people are listening to something that you have to say, and publishers are going to take that really seriously. So, you know, my, my rule, and it's a very simple rule for building a platform, is be consistent. Find a platform that you love and be consistent. Now, it can be maybe a YouTube, but I think for publishers, if you have one where it's a writing platform, I think that's really powerful because they get to see your written words, they get to see your style. So, I mean, blogging has always been my jam and um, you know, and I, and I love Twitter. Uh, but it's really going to come down to how consistent you are. Uh, what I see, the mistake that a lot of people do in our industry is they'll start something with gangbusters. And then they peter out and they just don't tend to it anymore. It's kind of like a garden that just is allowed to go fallow. And that is going to be the thing that is going to make it so that you can't gain any traction, let's put it that way. You've got to be consistent. Pick something you love, do it well, and by all means, be consistent. Because the more you're seen, the more people are going to start to follow. They're going to listen. And if you're only coming around once every you know, a couple of weeks or months, unless you're someone really famous, that's a problem. I think you can learn something, as much as I hate to say it, but from the Kardashians. I know a lot of people don't like the Kardashians, <laughs> but <laughs> whether you like them or not, they're, they know how to tease, they know how to get people excited, they're very consistent, they use social media very, very well. You know, yeah. they're not, they don't hide from it. Um, they're not bloggers per se, but they use those platforms well. And so use it well, but be consistent. That's how you build your platform. It's really actually quite simple. And, oh, by the way, be patient. You don't build a platform overnight unless you are somebody who's coming out of the gate famous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts Super. on building your platform, or are we in agreement? I am I am in total agreement. Um, I, I, have, I have two observations to make on this subject. The first is... Um, I do not think, while having great numbers is awesome, if you have a really brilliant idea, a publisher will listen to you. Mm-hmm. So I do not think that you should limit yourself or, or wait until you have X number of followers right. before you go to a publisher. Um, now, of course, like there's a lot of nuance in that statement because a really big house like Random House is going to be less likely to listen to you no matter how brilliant your idea is than a smaller publisher um, mm-hmm. that that is still accepting unsolicited submissions, right, and doesn't need an agent to be a go-between. So you have to set, you have to be realistic, but I definitely think that you should not let a lack of amazing numbers uh, be a problem for you. And the other thing that a lot of people don't think about in the age of social media is that your mailing list also counts as a platform and is actually one of the strongest platforms. So if you have a mailing list 
then definitely count those numbers. And if you're not a huge fan of social media and you feel like, you know, I don't want to build a platform on Facebook or I don't want to build a platform on Twitter, then build up the platform of your mailing list and treat mm-hmm. that as your major channel. So those are, those are the two things that I would add. Right. Well, I, I agree with that because, you know, you don't need to have a big platform. It can be a small, loyal platform. And But the one thing is it makes it easier for you to get a foot in the door if you do have a solid platform. It does. It, it, it really, really does. Because it shows that, look, you're, you're making an effort, you're engaging. I mean, I would very logically, if I was a publisher, which I think you and I should be publishers, that's my theory. <laughs> but if I was a publisher, <laughs> I'd be looking to see, is this person engaging? Are they out there? Are they interesting? Because if they're out there engaging in the public, like let's say um, through a social media thing or through their blog, that tells me that they also might be somebody who is going to market their book then. You know, it's just Absolutely. logical. That's, that's exactly right. And they have a built-in audience for their book. You know, they right. have they have an audience that they can go to and say, Hey, my book is now available for pre order on Amazon, get it, get it and and they will go and they will get it. Exactly. So did you do any kind of research for your book proposal? I did. So again, because I did because I've done so many book proposals and, and this is something else that I'll say about book proposals is you know like I said, I had many rejections before I had an acceptance. And that's true for a lot of authors, including like really famous beloved authors. You know, there's many, I've, I've talked to several best-selling authors who are like, you know, here, let me show you a picture of my wall of rejections. So, so you know, if you get rejected, like, like just get back up on the horse. Um, but, but yes, I did a lot of research. One of the things that I researched was the market um, for the particular kind of book that I wanted to do. So my book, Making Magic, which is available from Sounds True in June, um, June 4th, I think is the release date, I looked to see what the market was was doing for books on magic and for the subject matter of magic and enchantment and rituals and ceremonies. You know, I wanted to get a good sense of, you know, who's interested in that and how interested are they and how many titles are coming out that, you know, nominally deal with these things. That was one piece of research that I did. I also looked at different um, comparable books and comparable figures, and I looked at what kind of spinoffs they did. And I looked at what was effective and what was not effective. Mm-hmm. And so that was another piece of of information that I really wanted to have to hand. And and having some of those stats was really helpful in in, you know, an unknown author making her case that, hey, you should take a chance and, and publish this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Teresa? Did you do any research? Yeah, the biggest research I was doing was on, of course, the um, competitive titles and the mark, the market. Yeah, you know yeah. what's going. That's that's the big thing. But you know, I always think like uh, from that perspective first, even though I'm a creative, is does this make sense? Is this something people are going to like? Um, will they? Will this be fun to write? Was my other research? <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, 
because that's really important to me. It's like I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So I really had to also do a lot of thinking around that and playing around with my ideas. But my biggest research was what's this audience? What is selling right now? What's not selling? So that's where I did most of my analysis. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant. You know, so let's talk about, I've mentioned it a couple of times, let's talk about what happens when a proposal is rejected. What happens next? OMG. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, when it gets rejected, and I've had some proposals rejected too, I had a really interesting back and forth uh, experience with a you know, publisher that was interested, but then they're like, oh, I don't know, and then I'm interested, but oh, I don't know. And, you know, so it, it, it's really, it's a nerve-wracking thing. And when you get rejected, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. And I think a lot of people think right away if it's rejected, that means that I'm not meant to write, I'm not meant to be a writer, nobody wants my book, boo-hoo-hoo, I'm going to go home. And it's like, no, wait a minute. Well, in some cases, that is the truth. <laughs> But oftentimes that just means maybe not this idea, maybe not this time, maybe not this publisher. So I think the first thing is if you get any feedback from the publisher, that's awesome, and maybe you can go back and fine-tune things. But let's say you don't. Let's just say, hey, they write and say, your idea is great, but I'm sorry, at this time we're not accepting it. Well, then you've got to take a step back for a moment. Um, Go ahead and deal with that feeling of being rejected because nobody likes being rejected. It sucks. But then start looking at, maybe sending it to different publishers or maybe reworking it. Maybe there's something you need to do with it. Or maybe it's just not this book this time. Maybe it's a book that you can do at a later time. You know, so you've really got to go back and uh, reconsider whether or not you want to pitch it to a different publisher or whether it needs to be reworked or, you know, whatnot. So my advice is don't take it personally, but look and see what you could do to maybe move this along or move along on a different project. What about you, Bree? What do you think about when you get rejected? How? What is your advice? Yeah, it's, I mean, I completely agree with what you said. And I think, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in her book, Big Magic, which mm-hmm. if you're an aspiring author, I highly recommend. I was really, I was really kind of uh, suspicious about the book for <laughs> like mm-hmm. a year and then I finally got a, hard, a soft copy of it, and I loved it so much I'm getting a hard copy. It's very, very good advice about creative work, generally speaking. Um, and, of course, she's a writer, so she talks a lot about writing. And, you know, the thing is, and this is echoed in the book, and it's, it's out there, if you're, if you're submitting a book proposal, it's because part of your work is to write. And if part of your work is to write, then you're a writer. And and part of what that means is that now rejections are a part of your experience. There is no writer who always, always, always gets a yes. Not even your most beloved writers have always gotten a yes. Like I said, most of them have a ton of stories about the no's that they have received and that sometimes they still receive. So that's the first thing to understand. Like, This is now a part of it. Just like if you're a Tarot reader, part of your reality are no-show clients. Like, they may not happen very often, but every now and then it's Mm going to happen, right? Right. So so rejections are now a part of your reality. So make your peace with that is is the first thing. And you know what Liz Gilbert did when she was starting off as a writer? 
was she got that rejection letter. She would take her submission. She would put it in a new envelope and send it to someone else. And I think that that's the attitude you have to have with your book proposal. You know, if you get rejected, absolutely, like Teresa said, you look at what the publisher said. If you've got feedback, you, know, you can go back and forth with them. Um, but you also take that proposal and you send it to another publisher. You know, there's a, there's a lot of publishers out there. And so you just, again, like you get back on that horse. Now, the other thing, and this was what happened to me, is I sent in several different proposals over the course of about a year, and I kept getting rejected, but I also had really valuable feedback from my publisher, and they were really wanting, they were being very discerning about what my first book would be. And so, and, and that is something to really consider because your first book is what, you know, positions you in the marketplace. And so you want to you want to put some thought, you know, many of us have multiple book ideas, right? And and so you want to think about well what is the one that's going to position you the best and your publisher may really work with you on refining that. So, right. you know, I learned a lot from my rejections and they're really valuable and the other awesome thing is that I still have all of those proposals. They can be reworked and resent at any time. Yep. So there's no waste. Like there doesn't have to be any waste. So that's my that's my take on rejection. It's just as a writer, it's a part of your life now. Absolutely. And you know, the thing is when you are a writer, you know, the rejection with the book proposals happens. And also, you know, at some point we'll talk in this in a future episode. The public also sometimes rejects your stuff too. They don't like it. You get a bad review, uh, you know, and that just really stinks. But what is your option? The other option is to never send the proposal out, to never put yourself out there, and that is just not acceptable. So, coming into this with a very thick skin that it might get rejected, people might not like it, you just got to do it anyways. You got to do it anyways. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That is it. So, go ahead. Yes. No, what were you going to say, Teresa? Oh, well, no, that I didn't have anything really <laughs> significant to say. It's just, you know, thick skin rejection happens. So I have I have a follow-up question to that. Yeah. Um, what is your advice for writers who have a great idea for a book but they aren't skilled at writing proposals because I feel like this might be something, just the idea of putting the proposal together is so overwhelming that it never happens. Right. You know, in that case, then you want to hire somebody, like a writing mentor or somebody who specializes in that because that can make all the difference. If you know somebody who, you know, I mean, there's lots of people who are really skilled. There's even people who offer services um, to help you put a proposal together, you know, you might want to look at that. Also, there's places online that you can go to that teach you how to write a book proposal, like they'll tell you how to outline it, all of that. So you can look online or, you know, really my best advice is hire somebody to help you. Hire a writing coach, a writing mentor, or someone who specializes in book proposals to help you to put it together. I think that that would take the steam off and it will give you confidence and, you know, it just makes so much sense. It's a good investment. What about you? What do you any thoughts on that? I think no, I think that's exactly that's exactly what you do. You know, if the proposal is keeping you from sharing your awesome idea 
with the world of like, you know, businesses hire people to hire outside help all the time to help themselves write a business plan. Um, because it's a really specific form of writing and it's a really specific project. And so there are copywriters and there are book proposal creatrixes out there now that this is their jam. Like this is what they specialize in. And so they can really help you. And the other thing that I would add to that is, like I mentioned this earlier, but it's really essential, your grammar and your syntax, which is sentence structure, needs to be tight, right? I mean, there's there's nothing worse than, like, you have this brilliant idea and you spend all of this time on you know, the creating the proposal and making it lovely. And then, you know, in the first chapter sample, there's a double negative. I mean, that just like ruins so, so much of the flow, you know, and the enthusiasm. So mistakes happen, but this is not the place to be cavalier about them. So I think that if you don't have, I know Teresa, I believe your daughter is a really amazing editor. And so Mm -hmm. I think she's helped you edit your work. My husband is an ex uh, high school English teacher and <laughs> he's my he's my go to editor and you know that that part and it's a part that I'm emphasizing because it's very like it's very Saturn and it's not really where intuitives and sacred artists like to live, you know, we're very much about like the idea and the feeling yep. and not like the structure. And but that structure is really, really important because it really does indicate like a level of professionalism. So if you put the proposal together yourself, if you don't know somebody who can edit it, and I mean really edit it, then that is some, that is a place where I would spend money. I would hire yep. someone to do that for me. And there's a ton of freelance editors out there who can do that. So that's something I would look at. Mm-hmm. Such good advice. Wow, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we did. We always do. We we managed to get a lot in in our time together. And, you know, I think that the information we're providing today are going to help people who are curious about the book proposal process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that said, we're going to wrap up this episode of Talking Shop. So, T, what was your biggest takeaway from this discussion? Like, what rocked your world about it? There's so much good stuff. The two th- there's two things I like that you said. The one thing uh, about, you know, your platform doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to be like gung-ho on building that. I think that's really important for people to know. Even though a platform helps, um, it doesn't need to be your primary concern, so don't get bent out of shape about that. But also what you just said about the grammar. It is so, so important to be as polished as possible. Even if you're writing something that has slang, and I use a lot of slang in my writing, it still needs to be polished. So I think the grammar thing, the syntax, is so, so important. What about you? What was your biggest takeaway or favorite little piece of advice from everything we just talked about? Well, you know, Teresa, I love your take on platform building. Um, you know, the fact that you emphasize it, but also the fact that you emphasize being patient and being consistent. I mean, I, that is such like old school advice that you actually rarely hear these days. And I think that it's so right on. I think consistency and patience and knowing that, you know, you're growing your community 
you know, bit by bit is really, really important. And you're going to take that same set of habits and apply it to your marketing plan mm-hmm. once you're once once you have a book deal, you know, and you're going to take that same set of habits and apply it to actually writing the book. How does a book get written? Well, you write, mm-hmm. you, you write sentences, and you write chapters, and you finish them, and it happens bit by bit if you show up consistently. And so, you know, I just think that that, that focus on that is is so important for the entire process, actually. And I think it's important for metaphysical business owners in general to practice real consistency and reliability because, you know, that is the way to develop your professional reputation. If you're a flake, if you're not sitting down and doing your work, well, you can't expect that people are going to take you seriously. Consistency is king. As dull as that sounds, it is king. So, anyhow, we do need to sign off, though. And before we sign off, a happy reminder. If you love Talking Shop, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Just look for Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, and you're going to find all the episodes there. You can also visit uh, the Talking Shop archives on my page. You can go to thetarolady.com, and I've got a brand-new snazzy page. You click on Podcast, hop on down to Talking Shop. You'll find all that jazz there. Where can they find it on your page, Bree? Y'all, just head over to Brianna, that's B-R-I-A-N-A, Safi, S-A-U-S-S-Y.com, and you will see in my nav bar a little icon that says free resources. If you click on that, you will see the active talking shop episode that's being showcased for the month. And then you will also find all of the talking shop archives so that you too can listen to the brilliance of Teresa and Bree while you clean your house and fold your laundry. Right. And while you do your Marie Kondo. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and people, if you like the show, please do us a solid and leave a kind review on iTunes because that's going to help more metaphysical entrepreneurs find their way to Talking Shop. All right, now that is fully a wrap for this episode. And join us again next month for another round of Talking Shop. And until then, you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. Bree, where can they find you? And you can find me, Bree, at briannasafi.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Keep taking actions every day to build the mystical business of your dreams. Stay on your grind and make it a great month. We know you will. Bye.